0: I just can't, I mean, apart from the fact that I'm really looking forward to taking Terry Taylor's belt away from him, which I'm sure I'll do sort of quite easily, Uh uh, I just can't wait to get my hands on Terry Taylor. I mean, he's so cute. He's got such pretty little teeth, you know. And I've rearranged, I mean, as you know, since I've been in the United States of America, I've rearranged so many people's dental work that on the East Coast, they call me the demon dentist, and on the West Coast, they call me the tooth fairy.
1: Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 81, in which we will be paying tribute to the great, exotic Adrian Street, whom we just lost in late July, as I'm sure we all know by now. I'm joined this week by a great friend of mine and a former podcasting partner, Paul Fairbairns, to talk about Adrian and his legacy. We'll get to that in just a moment. Before we do, a few other things that I have to make mention of because they're very important things that are going on. First of all, in magazine land, a couple of new issues out there for people who seek out the work that I do in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside the Ropes, I advise you to pick up the new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the November issue, which has Matt Cardona and Steph Delander on the cover. It is available in stores. It's also available at pwi-online.com. In that issue, you will find my column, The Way It Was, which features a retrospective on the LA Coliseum Super Show of 1971, you know, the Blassie Tolos match. It's a little late in coming, but the reason I did it is because that record for Southern California live pro wrestling attendance that that show held, that record was smashed by WrestleMania earlier this year. So that's a 52-year attendance record that was demolished and so i wrote my column talking about that super show and looking back on it it's got some cool pictures in there including the cover image from the actual program from that show which i possess so pick up that issue if you can it again it is the november issue of pwi also and i mentioned this last week don't forget about issue number 35 of inside the ropes with roman reigns on the cover That is the issue which features my article looking back on the history of transitional champions in pro wrestling. You can get that digitally or print as well at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. And I believe here in the United States, it's also carried at Barnes & Noble, among other places. So keep an eye out for it. Issue number 35, Roman Reigns on the cover. And finally, a little bit later this month, it's coming up now, Saturday, August 26th, Just want to let everybody know, I will be at the third annual induction ceremony for the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Albany, New York at the MVP Arena. And on that day, Saturday, the 26th, during the day, I will be signing and selling copies of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. So if you are attending the ceremony that day, if you are attending fan fest earlier in the day. Come on by to my table and say hello. I hope to see you there. The IPWHF induction ceremonies, Saturday, August 26th. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's get to the matter at hand. I know we're a few weeks behind here, but I had a couple of other great episodes slotted in that I really wanted to bring to you, including last week's Mike Edison episode, which I hope that you appreciated. But now it's time to get down to business, remembering the unique and wonderful, exotic Adrian Street with my guest and friend, Paul Fairbairns. And I'm about to take you to that conversation right now. Okay, so we have all been aware very recently of the passing of one of the most innovative and entertaining and really revolutionary performers in modern wrestling history, exotic Adrian Street. And I have with me today somebody who is has been a friend of mine and a colleague of mine for a number of years now, somebody that I used to work with, in fact, on podcasting and things. Um, for, he was known in those days as Pablo Mellons. These days, <laughs> he is plain old Paul Fairbairn, but uh, he is a musician. He's a podcaster. He uh, is an obsessive wrestling collector, memorabilia collector. I'm looking at some of it now right behind him. And he was the co-host, and this is how I got to know uh, Paul, is he was the host of the Turnchuckle Old School Wrestling Podcast, which of course appeals to me because I also do an Old School Wrestling Podcast, as well as the Old cella Toys Podcast, which I was honored to be kind of a guest co-host on there with him for a while that was fun and now i've got him uh, on here because i'm i'm remembering as i said i was going to do i'm remembering the career and the legacy of of adrian street and um, i wanted to bring somebody on that i felt could do him justice and and paul is here so paul thank you so much for coming on to talk about uh adrian this week on shut up and wrestle
2: it's an absolute pleasure. I remember you talking about this podcast before it started. And you did say you would get me on one day. And But the thing is, as the weeks went by, and you were getting all these high profile names, I was like, he's never gonna ask me. <laughs> and you did. So you are a man of your word. So hopefully I live up to any expectations. <laughs> Yeah, I hope
1: so too, Paul. You're gonna start getting hate mail and things. No, but I
2: <laughs> oh, I've I, seen the I've seen some of the reviews, <laughs> and and it's nothing against your show, but like you know, you have a very hardcore fan base of which I am one. So like, I totally get it. You know, yeah, so I, I was to- I was
1: recently chastised uh, on Twitter by a listener who criticized me for my uh, quote non confrontational interviews that I do because apparently I don't embarrass my guests enough or or challenge them. And, or correct them obnoxiously, which I guess I should do more often. But uh, so I'll try to be very confrontational this week <laughs> here with you, Paul, if you don't mind. Uh, no, but I did. Like I said, I promised that, and it's not just because I promised you, but I had always intended to have you on. It's been a while now, and we haven't worked together in a while now, so I, I, I definitely wanted to have you back. Obviously, it's you know, it's it's under I guess un- unfortunate, bittersweet. Uh, pretenses, but I'm still glad to have you here uh, nonetheless. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So I was telling people, you know, uh, there's been a, a lot of uh, every every now and then when uh, when a specific wrestler passes away, like we saw it with superstar Billy Graham. That was a big one. We saw it with the Iron Sheik. There'll be these outpourings of tributes and everybody sort of weighs in and has something to say. And look, it, it's not a knock on anybody, but it, that doesn't always happen with every wrestling personality that passes away. Uh, some are m- better remembered than others or considered to be more, you know, uh, influential than others. And this feels like one of the bigger ones to me, which is funny to say, because Adrian Street is not, you know, he he is not a wrestler who ever worked for the WWF. Um, he was never seen on a national basis in the United States, although that's not entirely true, because I think he would be seen on Georgia championship wrestling on cable nationally and things like that. But he, he never quite in the United States broke through to the level of a lot of other people that are, that are being kind of testimonialized as much as he has been recently. So obviously something that he did really struck a nerve in old school wrestling fans to make him, to make them remember him so fondly and want to, talk about him and kind of explain what his legacy was obviously he did something important
2: yeah absolutely i think the just the fact that wwe even though he never wrestled for them have made a documentary about him um you know just shows the extent of the influence that he had on professional wrestling and it's kind of a weird thing, and I know Jim Cornette uh, recently, when talking about the Adrian Adonis uh, dark side of the ring, you know, it was mentioned that Adrian's never really going to be remembered in that way by WWE going forward because he had a very controversial uh, character that uh, would maybe offend a lot of people today. And I guess Adrian Street, to a point, maybe falls within that realm. Maybe it's 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 an odd thing. I mean, I, I think there's sometimes a double standards you know i think adrian both adrians deserve to be remembered equally uh equally as much but uh the fact that it, like i say adrian street he's had several documentaries made about him including uh, the incredible one by Joanne randall and i was able to interview her uh to help promote uh the the documentary as well which i think is still available on youtube premium and all sorts of uh streaming services uh, amazon prime and stuff like that um yeah he from what i know because again i'm 37 and my my knowledge of territories is you know relatively limited compared to you know someone like yourself or a historian well, thank you very much. Um, well because that's the thing when i when the old school wrestling podcast it covered you know wwf from the mid-80s to the mid-90s which again i i But that's totally old
1: school now. That is old school now. You know, I mean, I talk about that a lot on here. The definition of old school is not really set in stone. I mean, the Attitude Era is old school now. It makes us all feel ancient, but Uh, no. But and and you know, look, um, I was a WWF fan in the '80s as a kid. Uh, That was the extent of my initial exposure to wrestling. But the thing is, you know, you and me and people like us, like we we make an effort to to go beyond. What our original fandom was and to learn about things that were going on, not just even in the past before we were fans, but even while we were fans just in other places. Like, for example, I, you know, I was a fan in, you know, at the time that Adrian Street was wrestling, but it's just I was not. You know, I was a little kid. I wasn't watching Championship Wrestling from Florida or, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling and and Mid-Atlantic and things where where he would pop up. And and, um, I was able to discover him later. Actually, you know what's funny? I don't know if you've seen this. My first exposure to Adrian Street was as a teenager when I got my hands on the very first pro wrestling videotape ever made, which was PWI's Lords of the Rings, Superstars and Superbouts. Yes, (laughs) with hosts Gordon Soley and Bill Apter. And they had a segment on Adrian Street. And I was like fascinated from there.
2: Yeah, the fact that I don't know how that would have got distribution in the UK, but uh, what does, do you have it with you? The American cover or the British cover had uh, the Road Warriors on the cover. Um, I'm assuming the American cover's similar. It had, um, if I remember, you know, I have it downstairs. I should have brought it up if I thought of this.
1: It had a few different people on the cover. Um, I know it had, it did have the road wars, but I don't think it was entirely them. In fact, there was a story even that was, think if I have this right, it was supposed to have King Kong Bundy on the cover, but I think he like sued them or something. Bundy did. And so they took him off. But um, yeah, it's a red box. And um I stupidly threw it away when I was uh you know VHS bah what do I need that? Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then I tracked it down on eBay because I had to have it again, and I have it now, and I'm 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 I still have my VCR, so I'm able to watch it and I've converted it and all that. But yeah, that was the first time that I ever got to see him. And it's funny because I, of course, was a WWF fan, so I knew Adrian Adonis, I knew adorable Adrian. And that was one of those aha moments as like a really non-smart fan going like, wow, uh, wrestling companies kind of steal ideas, don't they? And like this Adrian Adonis thing is a complete ripoff of, no offense to Adrian <laughs> Adonis, of Adrian Street. They even have the same name. It's almost like somebody said, "Well, well, we have an Adrian. Uh, maybe we can make sort of him be the effeminate, like cross-dressing wrestler, like like, like this, Adrian. You know, it, it's almost like it it came down to that.
2: Well, that, that video speaks to uh, the extent of Adrian's uh, stature in wrestling as well, because that covered some of the major things that were happening in the early to mid-80s. So I think Randy Savage's Piledriver to Ricky Morton's on there. It is. Uh, the uh, the Von Erich Memorial with Kerry winning the title, Heaven Needed a needed a Champion. Heaven Needed a Champion, yes. <laughs> <needed a> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's that ingrained. song,
1: to, to this day, <laughs> I get it
2: caught in my head every now and then. Heaven Needed a Champion. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and that hand jive song at the end, um, I don't yeah. know who sang it. Um, yeah, but George yeah, Thorogood. Oh, there you go. So, so the fact that Adrian is a part of that, uh, it's it's. I wish there were more of those uh, tapes. It's a shame. I don't know if there were a whole series of them, but I've never come across any more. We have like flea markets in America, we call them car boot sales here, where they sell the videos basically, or sell whatever basically out the back of a car boot and um and or car trunk and that video along with things like the wbf uh video and you know just things that absolutely nobody wanted at that point in like sort of the mid to late 90s uh you could buy them for like 10p or something like that and i'm sure that that's how i got that video but also i was just showing you uh earlier that in one of the early raw magazines uh in june 1998 uh Jim Cornette had a a great column, um, which was kind of at odds with the Vince Russo column from like Mm. two pages before. They were kind of like head to head, uh, diametrically opposed. And you know, as we all know, they still are. Um, But there's a great uh, thing in the June 1998 uh, magazine which talks about what is old is new again, and talks about different things uh, that happened in. The past, but he's like, so if I talked about a, a, a Canadian wrestler who got screwed in Montreal, you know, of course I'm talking about, was it Ed Strangler-Lewis? It um, was
1: it was Henri de Glaine. And yeah, Ed, no, but Ed Strangler-Lewis was the one who got screwed where Andre, Henri de Glaine basically bit himself between falls because back then they would go back to the locker room between falls. And he either, he bit himself or it's possible that his trainer bit him. And they basically tried to make it out that, and this was not a storyline. They actually legitimately screwed him. They tried to make it out that Lewis had bitten Deglane, and the referee called for a disqualification. The title changed hands on a disqualification, which supposedly the urban legend was, that is why titles never again were allowed to change hands on a disqualification because it was used <laughs> as, a, as a screw job tactic. But yeah, that happened in in Montreal right the original Montreal screw job
2: yeah i i guess the other unspoken uh screw job is the Quebecers beating the Steiners by DQ for the tag team titles <laughs> cuz it was province of Quebec rules oh um- <laughs> god that was so
1: frustrating when i was a kid i remember that very well very well but
2: um but the, Anyway the- we're getting way off topic here so yeah anyway but that that article it also talks about how cuz the artist formerly known as Goldust um mm-hmm. Is it It wasn't as shocking as you think it would be because, you know, and there's a massive picture of Goldust when he was dressed as Sable uh, that one time. <laughs> and then on the other side, there's a huge picture of Ado- uh, exotic Adrian Street. And again, that was uh a, a very early exposure to Adrian Street. I know the internet was around at that time, but I didn't really have access to it. And, and, and as a hard coach, you know, WWF fan as a child who was engrossed in the Attitude Era, I didn't really think about you know, the past or anything like that too much. I was kind of engrossed in what was going on at the present time. And it wasn't until much later on. So the mid 2000s, when I really started to look at different territories because of shoot interviews and uh, documentaries and other things. Um, I think that, what we want to point out too, and
1: it's important to point out is because we're bringing up like, for example, Goldust and Adrian Adonis and, and in relation to Adrian Street and the effect that he had, the impact that he had on these kind of characters, you know, clearly, obviously these characters were products of their time. And that's one of the conundrums. Like you say, you, you would never really have a character like that today, because as we know, a lot of what and nobody did it better than Adrian Street. I mean, nobody committed to it and was as brave about it and as bold about it. I mean, that man could have legitimately gotten himself killed, to be honest with you, in some of the scenarios that he put himself in. But what he was doing was sort of exploiting the sexual um, insecurities, I guess you might say, of of kind of a heterosexual male audience, exploiting their kind of... Uh, sensitivities to sexual ambiguity and things like that. And just generally making them uncomfortable, which is also what Goldust did as well. But again, I just don't think as well. He didn't do it as as well as Adrian Street did, but he, but he did that. And that's not really something we'd see today. Like I think the greatest example of how far the business has come and how much change has occurred is you have um, an act like the acclaimed Right. Which in AEW, which deals a lot in in the, the whole act that they do with the scissoring and all that. And and I know one of them and forgive me for not remembering which, but I know one of them is gay. And it came up in a promo where he said that in, in response to some, I think there was a female wrestler coming on to him. And, and he said, well, you do know I'm gay. Right. And it got a huge positive reaction from the crowd, which is amazing. Right. And they were yeah. chanting like, "He's gay, he's gay, he's gay," and it shows you uh, this is a very different business than it was back then. Uh, and 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 in this case, it's for a good reason. But but it makes it it makes the legacies really complicated because Adrian Street was amazing and was gifted and was really good at what he did. But what he did is something that I don't think a wrestling audience would even accept today.
2: I think there are aspects of him that would be hugely popular, to be honest. I mean, when you could see even William Regal has taken things from Adrian Street in terms of he can act quite camply (laughs) on screen and, you know, be over the top with his vernacular and with his facial expressions. And, you know, because that's a part of British history is, you know, drag and pantomime and all that kind of thing. And um, I think we have a a, a sense of—I hate to say this—but I think there's a sense of humor that, say, middle America, or maybe the Deep South, etc., may may not, you know, have caught up with. You know, I mean, if you look at something like Queen, um, I'm a huge Queen fan. Uh, the "I Want to Break Free" music video, where they're all in drag, and we just saw because it's a pastiche of one of our soap operas, but that was played on MTV in America, and that destroyed Queen's career for like about, yeah. you know. 10 years until Wayne's world came around and, you know, and Freddie, unfortunately, unfortunately died. I think, you know, cause we still have, um, we still have things like pantomime where there are dames and, you know, the, the male characters played by a woman or the mm-hmm. female characters played by male. um, And there is kind of, and I may sound like a dinosaur when I'm saying this, but you know, there's still, an amount of political incorrectness that is kind of as, as it, it's a hard thing. Cause like I have trans friends, I have gender neutral friends, Um, you know, but I think there's a kind of uh, where it's not really acknowledged. Uh, oh God, this is like a whole, whole.
1: <laughs> that would no, be but awesome. that, this is, this is good because no, this is it, part it, of it what goes, the character brings up for sure.
2: But yeah, you had da- you had
1: Dame Edna Dame Dame Edna, which is the first thing I think of. What, which I think is the yeah. phenomenon you're referring to from, in, from in the Australia.
2: UK. Uh, yeah. Well, we also had uh, Paul O'Grady, who was um, who had a character called Lily Savage. Who I mean, the the real drag act to do the smoky bars and you know take no uh, take no BS from anyone and all that kind of thing. The kind of working class housewives, but they are played by a, you know a. a, a a gay guy because it it wouldn't work otherwise because you're able to take from personal experiences and all that kind of thing right Um, you know but it, it could be also said that those you know drag acts the ones that really made it into the mainstream set up a lot of um, or paved the way for a lot of things that are going on now, and there were there were huge amounts of tributes paid to Lily Savage. I actually I've got to say as well, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's again slightly off topic, but we had a morning TV show called The Big Breakfast, which would regularly have wrestlers uh, as guests, and in 1996, Lily Savage would host an interview from a bed because the whole thing was done from a house. And it was very boudoir esque and almost like she was playing a prostitute and would have a male star, but it would be like Billy Crystal or Robert De Niro lying on the bed with her. It was so weird. And this is I've it, seen this. It, they had Hogan, didn't they? Have the Hogan, Hogan and Savage, and Savage one? Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It. I mean, I would yes. recommend if you want to understand British humor and the fact that you wouldn't expect Hogan and Savage to be as into it as they are but they really have fun with it and they're so relaxed with it as well. And uh, it's full of double entendres and, uh, you know, that's just kind of the British humour. And I think, Amer- you know, I, I don't really know, you can't really say American humour because America's is so large and vast. And, you know, um, but I do think that within wrestling, you can even be over the top gay, like a character, like uh, I say, a character like a wrestler, like Effie, for example, who mm-hmm. has you know kind of pushes the same buttons that an Adrian Street did. Who is actually you know he labels himself as uh, as queer, and but he's insanely popular with the crowds that he wrestles in front of, whether you like that style or not, you know. And he is kind of opening up wrestling and making it kind of acceptable for gay people to go. Because I'm gay. And, you know, it's kind of weird being a gay gay wrestler, a gay wrestling fan and people not saying, oh, you like oily men in their underpants (laughs) rolling around the floor. You know, it's like, you know, I'd I'd be, it would be inaccurate to say that, you know, if some good looking guy comes out in a basically a G string, you know, of course you get, because wrestlers are there to sell themselves, you know, and. You know, but I, right. I it's wrestler. like my reaction
1: when Mandy Rose would
2: come out. I I completely Absolutely. understand. Yes,
1: certainly. Absolutely. But but you know the the thing with Effie and um, which I think is a great example in modern comparison. But there's a couple of thoughts on that now. And with, one thing that Effie does, which I think is great, is how he's got this merchandise that the the catchphrase that he sells is wrestling is gay. Which, for those of us who have been fans for a really long time, you get the irony of that, though, right, Paul? Because that is the insult that would typically be thrown at you if you were a wrestling fan in a homophobic culture. Like, oh, wrestling's gay. Come on. But he's taking it and embracing it like, yep, wrestling is gay. So what? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of cool. But it's got to be pointed out, though. A difference here, of course, is Effie is not, even outside of wrestling, is not a straight man. Effie is not heterosexual. Adrian Street was. And I think that's something, that's another thing which may not have been permitted today because now we live in this time where it's like you have to, there has to be more authenticity to the part you play. Like the days of John Wayne playing Genghis Khan in a movie are are. Over and most would probably say thankfully, but you have to. You you know it's like a, a most of the time today. I think all the time, even if you had a gay wrestler, where their gimmick is that, I don't think they would do that with a wrestler that wasn't gay. Like like I think the last time you'd ever see that would be Billy and Chuck.
2: Mm, that is true. Yeah. Um. And and the art, even the art is formerly known as Goldust thing. As with a lot of things during the Attitude Era, if you look at things on surface level, they either seem stupid or they seem cool or whatever. But if, if you, you know, one thing, this is why I can't remember Friends' birthdays and stuff like that, is I know the Attitude Era is booking like inside out because I watched it. So I can tell you why this happened, why this <laughs> happened. And, and you've got, the, the artist formerly known as Goldus came from an area of Dustin Runnels' insecurity that, Terry spent 30 days with Brian Pillman and he wanted nothing else to do with her. And while she was gone, he hooked up with Luna, who exposed a whole area of, you know, bondage and, you know, this whole sexual side to him that he never even realized existed. And he kind of embraced it. So, you know, it's kind of... It's different again to Adrian Street because you never really got Adrian Street's backstory. I, I l- would have liked the idea, and again, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think, unlike say a William Regal, it wasn't explained on American TV that Adrian Street was this tough guy who no. was, you know, um, fighting in England and you know had to deal with a lot of shit with his dad as well. I mean, because I, I love that photograph of him down the mine. Oh, it's um, one of the great
1: one of the great wrestling photos. Yes.
2: Yeah. For people that I, I,
1: don't know, just to be clear on it, you know, uh, Adrian Street uh, came came from Wales, came from kind of, I guess it was like a coal mining town in Wales, and his father was a coal miner. I think he, even he may have been in his younger years, and, and it's just a big coal mining town and not the kind of place that you would think would produce somebody like a, exotic Adrian Street. <laughs> and he did this great photo, which you can Google, although a lot of people have been posting it, where he went back to his hometown and he took a series of shots, but there's really one that stands out where he's standing down in the mine with all the miners and they got all the cold grease all over their face and they got the hard hats on. And he's there in his full, like swishy Adrian Street regalia, <laughs> just in all of his glory. It's one of the best things that you'll ever and, see. And he,
2: st- he stood right next to his dad as well. Yes, he yes. Didn't really, you know, like you say, uh, you know, had his own mindset and was from a different, uh, generation. And, you know, I think there is credence when you think about the, the time when, uh, Adrian wrestled and how big British wrestling was in the UK at that point, that he probably did have an influence on glam rock to some degree, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, the David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust thing, or other artists during that time who may not have made it quite as big, but, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a weird thing when my, my dad was older than a lot of people's dads and he would talk about world of sport and he would always mention Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks and Cat Weasel and um those kind of names that would further appear on game shows and on uh, comedies and all that kind of thing, because some of them were actors as well. And one name he never brought up was Adrian Street, and I don't think that he it's kind of a weird thing. I don't think he made the impact on the British wrestling scene as a mainstream thing uh, to the, you know, to the level of big daddy and giant haystacks. And that's probably why he went to America. Cause I don't know if the character of Adrian street once he, it, you know, wasn't a part of that hell's angels tag team, etc. When he went full on Adrian exotic, Adrian street, I don't know if it would have flew even on British TV at that mm. point, but um, it's, it's just one of those names that, He he felt like he was on the fringe of British wrestling to me um, compared to, like I said, the Big Daddy and giant haystacks of the world. Yeah, he he was an underground figure. I
1: think it's even safe to say here, but underground in a way that, you know, it was always very clear that he had a lot of interested fans, people that knew what he was doing, that knew of him. You know, he was kind of like a cult figure in wrestling in a way. And what he did, especially for people that have never seen it or aren't that familiar, uh, you know, you can find there's plenty of footage online or you find him in old wrestling magazines. It was definitely the thing is, there had been wrestlers before, like Gorgeous George and stuff and Ricky Starr, who had sort of played with this idea of masculinity femininity i'm i'm a pretty boy i'm kind of a sissy and i'm gonna make you hate me and because i'm not you know a a real man and like that kind of thing but he he took it another to another level where it was much more confrontational like you never get if you watch gorgeous george you never get the sense of that of that and he's great you don't get the sense of confrontationalism like it's just like he's there he's being ridiculous his very existence is an affront and an insult you know to to middle class america but he's not directly making or trying clearly to make people uncomfortable in the way that adrian street would do and yet still what he did, if you if you actually watch it and listen and read it, it's still there was a level of ambiguity because he would talk. It wasn't like it, it was not like a billion chuck or even like a gold dust, because um Adrian Street would talk about how women were interested in him. It wasn't like he he would keep you guessing. He would hmm. always talk about women being interested in him. Like that was a part of the character, too. Like it was almost like he was trying to say, like. It wasn't so much that he was gay but that he was just pansexual <laughs> like everybody loves me I'm gonna not only am' I gonna make you uncomfortable as a male wrestling fan because I'm gonna make you think that you know I'm interested in you but I'm also telling you, your wife wants me too on top of it. You know you know what I mean? There's like all these things going on with him which is so wild. It's almost like he's almost like the Dr. Frank N. Furter of wrestling, you know, from Rocky Horror Picture Show, who Should also transvestite with yeah, a broken nose. Yeah, but yeah. he plays a similar role in that movie where it's like everybody he, like he's after everybody. He doesn't care. You know, he's he's out there making everybody uncomfortable. And I think that's part of the the brilliance of, of Adrian Street, uh, that that he did it that way too. It was very unique.
2: That's true. There's a photographer in the UK, a rock photographer called Mick Rock, who f- photographed Bowie and Queen, etc. And uh there was you know, especially in the 70s when ambiguity was a, a huge thing. And the quote from Mick Rock was, If you look like a girl, you'll probably go home with a girl. Um and <laughs> You know, Adrian as well. Adrian was a handsome guy as well. When you looked at him, especially um, pre-Exotic Adrian Street, when he had the slick back hair and he had the musculature and everything, you know, because he was a built guy as well. And also he had Linda. So, you know, that really does throw in a lot of confusion as well. Like kind of like how Goldust brought out Marlena and later Luna Vachon as well. Um, And uh yeah, I was it, as we uh record this, it's um it's Jimmy Valiant's um birthday. And oh, is that um right? yeah yeah and um obviously there was a the, the huge feud between Adrian Street and uh and Jimmy Valiant as well. And I I was watching some clips and there's uh I think it's it's Bob Coddle interviewing uh jimmy valiant actually no he's interviewing uh he's interviewing adrian street and jimmy comes out and they have the confrontation and uh there's just subtlety to adrian street where he attacks jimmy valiant but before that you just see him grit his teeth and something almost like sort of clicks in his mind where the psychopath comes out because <laughs> it is like a, a degree of like you know yes that's that's what makes it very unsettling that he is like camping over the top and you know but underneath it there is a real actual nut job psychopath um have you, have you ever seen phantom of the paradise uh you know
1: what i'm gonna lose a lot of horror movie credibility here because i'm a big horror movie guy and people have always put that movie over to me and I have yet to see it, but I know oh. a lot. I know a lot about it, though. I
2: know, I know where you're going with it. Yeah. Well, the Paul Williams character he, he reminds me a lot of Adrian Street, especially with the accent and the hair and everything. And uh, I think you'll get a whole lot out of that. I mean, the music on it's great as well. And uh, but uh, I can imagine that that was, you know, the, there's a mutual influence going on in there as well because Phantom of the Paradise was. You know, one of those underground movies as well, which I still don't think really gets its due, but it does get referenced on things like The Simpsons as well. And there's just that level of glam rock camp uh ridiculousness uh that fits in very well with it. I mean, put it this way, the Adrian Street albums, you know, would have, or the songs would have worked very well on this soundtrack. And I love those <laughs> albums. Like, I got the reissue. I was so glad I, because Adrian had a, he based on, he probably still does. Um, And the album was reissued and he had his action figure. And uh, I know well who are now Epic Toys, that there is an action figure going to come out as well with the full regalia and everything. And um, it's it's exciting that Adrian got to see the, the appreciation towards him because, you know, it's always slightly bittersweet when a wrestler finally gets inducted in the hall of fame after they've passed yeah and um you know obviously adrian getting into i think it's almost a given that i think he'll be inducted next year that's my prediction for that
1: um i'm almost wondering if he's in the legacy wing already but he probably not i guess
2: i don't know i don't think he is because i don't you have you have to have died to be in there you know, oh, is that right I I don't think I, I, I'm I'm too dumb to have put that together. I guess
1: you're right. there I have mean, been some people that they put in there that I felt really deserved to have a full induction. I mean it was mm-hmm. really Lord Alfred Hayes is probably number one. I can't believe they did that to him uh that is I mean that's a guy who was integral to the WWF he he's not like just some obscure historical figure, you know. But that's not a that's a tangent, but you you know that, <laughs> that, that bugged me. Actually, even Stan Stasiak bugged me because he had been a WWF world champion. Oh, uh, don't get uh, me started. Yeah. And and his I, you know, I think what sometimes they do that. I hate to be cynical, but they do that because they don't want to offer a legends contract to the family. That's that's why that happens sometimes. They just want the benefit of 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 getting the name affiliated with the Hall of Fame without having to actually offer anything. But I wanted to say, uh, because I've been thinking about this, because as we've been talking about, you know, the fact that, as you said, and as we've been alluding to, Adrian was a very tough man, and he came from a very tough background, and he was a legitimately dangerous fighter and wrestler. Um, As far as, you know, them alluding to that on TV, they never gave, you know, his actual background, or as far as I know. I mean, I, I don't know all, but in what I ever saw and heard, announcers would never talk about that but they would very often do uh, the same thing they would do a lot of times with wrestlers that whose gimmick might have made them look weak is they would always try and point out listen don't underestimate this guy right they would say that a lot I mean he's a very dangerous wrestler he's very you know formidable he's nobody to take lightly like that kind of thing and I think it's interesting that it's almost like because he was such a a hard ass and, and a legitimate tough guy, as we say in the business, it's almost like that's what gave him the confidence to be able to pull off a character like that. Because the crazy thing is, so was Gorgeous George. George Wagner was a shooter. George Wagner was somebody that Lou Thez said is a great wrestler. And, and he didn't say that lightly. And when he said, when Thez would say great wrestler, he meant actual wrestler. Uh, George Wagner was somebody who was, you know, a great shooting wrestler, but couldn't make a dime and nobody knew who he was or cared who he was until he put on his feathered robes and did up his hair with bobby pins and all that, you know, started perfuming himself and became gorgeous George. And it's almost like the same dynamic of being like, I'm such a tough guy that I'm going to stand up here and be a
2: complete sissy and nobody's going to mess with me, you know? Mm-hmm. The the creativity, I, I, I don't know where it comes from. Um, because, I mean, you know, Adrian is such a creative guy across the spectrum, you know, making ring gear and uh, releasing mm. music. And musically, I mean, the, Adrian he sings in harmony as well, and he sings in tune. It's really not bad singing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I'm sure he had a hand in writing the songs and everything as well. I, I don't know if it comes from coming from a such a small town that you kind of have to break free with you know from some kind of you know frustration, etc. But also be able to look at the whole wrestling landscape and go, Well, what will make me stand out? Because I just don't think that that mindset would have been prevalent too much until you know, especially maybe the late seventies, early eighties in this. I mean, I, again, you know, I I could be wrong on that, but you know, it it was. You look at Giant Haystacks, Big Daddy, Cat Weasel, who looks insane. Um, it's it, there's a very surface level thing there. You know, I think Adrian Street, if he did, it, it's kind of, I don't know, it it's kind of a weird thing. He was able to go from being straight laced and being the being a Hell's Angel. Tag team member and et cetera, and turning it into something bigger. Whereas Adrian Adonis started off as the kind of Hells Angels biker guy, and it it went the opposite. (laughs) It went the opposite way, but again, and Brian last, you know, sums this up perfectly that just because you're gay doesn't mean that you're wearing dresses and, (laughs) you know, in the (laughs) the
1: world of wrestling, it does though. I mean, it was, especially then it was such a cartoon. Like, like if you look back now, that's one of the things uh, I know, they just did a dark side of the ring on Adrian Adonis and, and he, Adrian Adonis was one of the best workers of his generation. No question about it. He was amazing. But yeah. when you look back at that character and the way WWF did it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there. I guess there are people who enjoyed it or who liked it or who look back on it fondly. But it's so much more like ham-fisted and kind of obvious. And it doesn't have any of the style and weird subversiveness, at least to me, that Adrian Street stuff does. It's almost like you can clearly see it's like, a committee, and I know Pat Patterson was there, but it's like a committee of straight men getting together and going like, right, we're gonna have this gay character, right? And he's gonna look like this, and he's gonna do this, he's gonna have flowers in his hair, like something about it just never quite clicked. It's like, oh, wow, he made cowboy Bob Horton wear a pink cowboy hat. Whoa! (laughs) He's turning Bob Horton gay. Like, it was,
2: I don't know, it just didn't have the same panache you know it's it's such a weird thing i've I've been watching tnt episodes with my friend and you have to remember at that point in the mid 80s they were predominantly trying to appeal to children and when you look at (laughs) when you watch some of that stuff on tnt which is it couldn't be more of its time but it couldn't be more just hilarious to watch um it's unbelievable. It felt like a different company. It's kind of almost it like it did. It did. You know, if, if you watch like the Madison Square Garden shows or the the Boston Garden shows, which were strict house shows, there were no storylines, there were feuds and everything. But that that really did feel even to like the TV tapings, like Superstars, etc. It did feel like two uh, two completely different companies. Like a slight tangent, but TNT was my first um, exposure to Paul Christie as well. And uh, I watched his magic show and everything, and how he <laughs> kind of wouldn't get off the stage. And there was this weird uh, thing where was it? Paul? It might have been Paul Christie, or, or he had like a, an assistant on on the camera with him doing something like laying the lady on the swords kind yes. of thing, and then remove, you know, all that kind of thing. And we watched it in a slightly inebriated state. And when you watch that, and all of a sudden his assistant looks at the camera and kind of winks at the camera. It like really freaks you out because it's kind of like breaking the fourth wall. Like he's looking directly at you, which I mean, gives a a, a comment on how sometimes I watch mid eighties WWF. I think inebriated is sometimes a good state.
1: Of- well, inebriated <laughs> is also the state in which they made that show. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I know that for a fact. I could tell tales out of school now. You interviewed been- Lord Alfred. Yeah. Yeah. I did interview Lord Alfred. Uh, he uh-huh. was, Lord Alfred was already gone from the company at that point. It was like 2001 and I called him at home and it was for the story that I was doing on TNT. I did a a retrospective of Tuesday Night Titans for Raw magazine, and that was my pretense to get to talk to him. And it's so funny when I talked to him, he and he's another one of those campy British wrestlers. Like you say, it's not like he was he was not playing gay. But he was playing, as we all know, this sort of like effete, aristocratic British gentleman, which as far as a lot of Americans were concerned in the Archie Bunker mentality, they were all gay anyway. (laughs) Like, no, I mean, like that was the standard, (laughs) very working class American belief. Like, oh, all those Brits are gay. You know, they're just a bunch of, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of that. But I talked to him and it was funny because he actually tried to... Basically, he was like working me. It was weird. He was trying to convince me that he actually was a British Lord. And I was trying to have this very like straight up conversation with him about Tuesday night times. We weren't even on camera or anything, you know, and I had to play along. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes, I actually have. I am landed gentry. And I actually have a title and my family lost all their money and I was forced to enter the wrestling business, but I still live in my castle and he was doing all (laughs) that kind of thing and I had to play along with it, but um, I did, but I can tell you (laughs) from the work (laughs) I did on that story that uh, there was, uh, let's just say a lot of substances being partaken of by every single member of the cast and crew (laughs) of that show at that time, which I think when you watch it now, it explains a lot. And it also explains about how, like you said, it feels like it's a different company because it's just, they're all just going wild and having fun and just the wrestling's out the window. It's like, we're not producing a wrestling show right now. We're just doing this crazy variety talk show. You know, the rules don't apply. And I remember even somebody telling me that because you mentioned the Paul Christie thing. Hmm. Somebody telling me how um, the thinking was, Vince would say like, all right, what can you guys do? Like, what talents do you have? Like, what can we put on here? Like anybody that could sing, anybody that can dance, like anybody that can, you know, like do this, do that. And that's how those things would come up and just uh, these absolutely insane ideas. But they would have people on there who were not even on the show, like like Thez was on TNT. Like yeah. Buddy Buddy Rogers came on TNT years after he was no longer he didn't have Rogers Corner. Like they would do that. Doctor Jerry Graham was on Tuesday Night Titans, and you know he went when he was almost getting a shot to come back. So it was this very kind of like experimental show. It's really weird. I don't know how we got on on <laughs> TNT from. <laughs> I think it was the Adrian Adonis connection, right? I think it might be. I think it might
2: have been. And, um, you know, and as has been mentioned a few times, like one of the greatest segments WWF ever made was Gene Oakland on the streets of New York with Adrian Adonis. And And Dick Murdoch. (laughs) Yes, that was, it's like a work of art. You watch some of those things and the way
1: they're just like, I don't know, extemporaneously doing this stuff and playing off each other. And people, just civilians will just walk into the shot (laughs) and just start talking to them. And they just play it off and just make it part of the shot. It's just uh, what so a, immense talents they were back then, you know, but, um, but you know what I was thinking too, with Adrian street connected to that is how you were saying, and this is, I think what also made him a little bit different from an Adrian Adonis type character to me is the level of creativity Um and I think you see it sometimes. It's like we always hear these stories about creative types coming from these environments where they might feel trapped in a, a working class world where they don't feel like they belong. You know, I, I, if you see the movie Rocket Man, I know it's, a, it's a you know, a kind of a fantastical musical, but it yeah. shows you a lot about Elton John's background, where he came from, what his father was like, you know, all this kind of thing. and. And how all he wanted to do was get the hell out of there and cre- and and be this creative, artistic person. And it's not even just a thing about, uh, you know, playing off of um, the kind of things that an Elton John or an Adrian Street would do. I, I just mean even creative people in general, like the Beatles, same thing. They came from these harbor towns, you know, Liverpool, as, as working class as it gets. And not only that, but just... Um, And I can say this because I've been there, but it's just a dreary place, Paul. It's dreary. (laughs) It's gray. It's damp. It's just there's a lot of old men drinking all the time. It's not not a place where you would expect a creative mind, sorry, Liverpudlians, to just blossom and grow. And you can understand why these four guys would just want to get the hell out of there.
2: My mother was from Liverpool so I, I get it. Um <laughs> my grandmother was from there actually. Oh there you go. Yeah. Um so yeah it's uh, it's it's odd though because I f- I think a lot of the uh, authenticity of him uh, of Adrian Street um you know was the fact that he he never changed his accent. Um I'm I'm guessing he may have had to change it a little just to be um, understood on uh, you know mainstream American television, etc. You know because he he didn't really sound Welsh, uh, but uh, there's there's a news story of um a local Welsh news story and it's on YouTube where he moved back to Wales in his you know last few years and he got really emotional about it. You know I think he really missed uh, living in Wales and he was really happy to be back and as a result of that I think that made him probably more accessible uh to having things like the uh the joanne randall uh, documentary made which is very different to the wwe one it's so great that both happened at the same time and i i, I don't think this is like a huge secret but i think it, there was kind of a bit of combativeness in the fact that both were being made at the same time right. um and you know but i'm sure adrian wasn't uh exactly upset about having two documentaries made about him like i love the fact that they got adrian to wear his uh robe and you know kind of st- stand there with his chest puffed out because he was in he was in better shape aged 80 than i will ever be aged 37 and um you know he still looked amazing and he still looked like he could knock your teeth out with one shot and um you know, the, the two very uh, distinctly different documentaries, but both well worth uh, well worth watching. I mean, the Joanne Randall's one, if you're a Mick Foley fan, he is uh, one of the talking heads in that movie as well. And um, yeah, just highly recommended. And like I say, it's just great that his legacy will live on. I mean, when, when he uh, passed away, one of the things... That has uh, come out, which is a long standing story, but it's probably one of the most famous things that he's ever been known for um, is the fact that he beat up a renowned, noted pedophile Jimmy Savile. Um, oh, right. Fami-
1: yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. I yes. guess you
2: were familiar with Jimmy Savile. I mean, it's just, we don't want to, we'll not get into the things that he did, but he's one of the most like, oh. He, a monster. he was a monster he was a monster and but the thing is in the 60s 70s 80s 90s 2000 up, up until his death wasn't he, he was, like a like a children's show host or something like that right yeah and he was okay. friends with the royal family with prime ministers he just became a part of the fabric even though he was kind of like this weird um eccentric guy But also there were a lot of rumors for decades about the things that he did. And then it all really started to come out. And um, Adrian tells stories about how it was kind of just known that because he was such a big star, he had his pick of fans and a lot of them were underage. And, you know, Adrian, but Adrian, besides that, he was just annoyed that because Jimmy Savile had a love of professional wrestling as well and wrestled. For it was over 100 matches that he wrestled, but because he was such a big TV star, he had to win every time, etc., because it made the companies. And I totally get it, but he was kind of like this weedy kind of, you know, he, he didn't look like he could do anything to anyone. And Adrian was like, No, nah, I'm not going to do that. And um, yeah. he got in the ring with him and basically you know, picked him up and dropped him <laughs> on his head. And he was like, look, if I'd have known the things that did come out eventually, uh, he would have got, you know, he would have got much more of a severe beating if you could imagine an even more severe beating than the one that I gave him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's got his footnote in uh, history in a lot of different ways. And um, that's just one of those things that always got brought up during interviews with him because it's, it's such a, a huge thing that happened.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that we actually got to that. I didn't want to. I almost forgot because that is a story that a lot of people have been sharing online um, since he passed. That and I honestly didn't know a lot about it. I mean, I knew about Jimmy Savile, but I didn't know a lot. Of, I didn't know about the the Adrian Street incident until until very recently. But it is nice to see. It was nice to see how at the end of his life, at the end of his career there was this kind of resurgence happening this like rediscovery happening i saw the wwe documentary it was very short but but it was very effective it's almost
2: like they rushed it out because it yeah, was a one almost
1: made. <laughs> <laughs> almost like they just wanted to get something out into the market uh, yeah but uh, you know they then they had him it was very nice to see when they had him at clash at the castle at wales yeah. uh, in wales uh, in cardiff last year You know, it was just a nice gesture. It was a nice touch. I don't know the behind the scenes of how it happened, but it was nice that they brought him there. And I know I remember from that he was getting a lot of attention And I think he was selling a lot of merchandise off that too. From what I remember at the time, I -hmm. actually, I tried to buy a shirt from him. We actually had a direct interaction back and forth and I don't know what happened. Something happened. Somebody dropped the ball. It was probably me. I just had so much going on that I never followed through, but I, I had a very quick back and forth with Adrian, Adrian street, basically just about buying, you know, one of his shirts, nothing more than that, but it was nice to see him getting, uh, you know, reappraised at, at, you know,
2: before he died. That was nice. Absolutely. I, it, you know, you couldn't not buy a signed thing from his eBay store. I think they would almost insist that Adrian <laughs> and Linda signed it. I mean, obviously you would want it signed anyway, but uh, I love, uh, like I said, I have the album up there. It's uh, it's framed. Um, I have the action figure. I, uh, yeah. He sold, A lot of those, fine. I think he struck a deal with uh, someone to kind of market them properly because they were kind of made really before the action figure boom, you know, the retro figure boom kind of took off again because, you know, um, and again, it speaks to what a forward-thinking guy, and partnership, he and Linda were, that he had a a custom mass-produced action figure made, Entirely by himself, and they were selling it, and it has a little thing on the back where you can have it signed, etc. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's um, it's really cool that uh that that is death has been given, you know, the proper amount of coverage as well, because you know the, there are various clips on YouTube as well when with on Anderson talking about him and other people, and when on Anderson lists you on a very small list of shooters that he respects. In wrestling that you know that you uh you know are a hard bastard basically
1: yeah <laughs> pretty much exactly that yeah uh paul i'm glad that you came here to do this today and come on here and, and i think i even though we've only scratched the surface obviously there, there's so much we can get into and just even the whole his whole like second life at him and linda as as gear designers to the stars for so many years. Uh, is amazing but but uh, but just for giving me some of your time here today to talk about the exotic one i thank you and but before we stop though i wanted to just ask i know that the the cella show and the and the turn chuckle thing um are not happening anymore so where can people find you what are you up to these days
2: well, on Instagram, uh, I have I am I go by the name Turn Chuckle, which is like Turn. Great name, and, uh, love well. <laughs> it.
1: It is brilliant. Turn, I, it's one of those things I wish I had thought of. Turn Chuckle. It's if you
2: type it in on Google, it says, "Did you not mean Turn Buckle?" And it's like, "No, I actually meant Turn <laughs> Chuckle." The thing that I typed. Yeah, um, so you know, obviously, have a name that no one else wants. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I am Turn Chuckle on uh, Instagram, and uh, I show off. You know, like a lot of people, just various bits of rare memorabilia, and I, I talk about them at length, which is the thing that you shouldn't really do on Instagram. You meant to keep it short and snappy, but once you get me started, I can't really, you know, stop talking. But there's also a lot of links to uh, the various podcast interviews that I have done. I've been extremely lucky. Uh, the first wrestler I interviewed uh, was uh, Rick Bogner. and um, you would think it would be hard to get an hour and a half out of, you know. Me strictly, fake razor, Ramon, yeah, fake razor because that's the thing we talked about other things as well. But I was like, right now, fake razor, among uh, did you wear Scott Hall's ring gear basically? And it's like, no, I didn't fit into it, and you know, all that kind of thing. So, um, like yourself, I tried not to, I tried to make it, it like conversational, not just 15 bullet pointed questions, try to ask different things. So, I've again, I've been very lucky, you know, everyone from Austin Idol, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Todd Pettingill, you know uh, Tom Buchanan the WWF photographer you, your good self we've done a few together and uh, Simon, Simon
1: Dean that was a life changer <laughs> that was wonderful really best interview uh, yeah. I ever did yeah
2: <laughs> yeah not one of the best ones uh but yeah it, 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 i've just been very lucky there, there is a list on uh, on the turn instagram and also if i can get a slight plug in i'm also a musician i go by the name toxic melons uh you can find uh and it's all stupid really. Uh, and you can find kind of a weird mix of pop rock stuff on uh on Spotify and you can buy it off Bandcamp as well. Help me make money so I can buy more stupid wrestling things like Tatanka soda from Israel and stuff like that. I do actually have that, you know. So if you want to see that kind of stuff, that's the depth of stupid wrestling. Bushwhacker talk. You know, (laughs) Bret Hart, Soap on a Rope. You know, I've I've got it all. It's all the really historic. Jim Cornette would be extremely proud of my collection of absolute tat.
1: (laughs) See, there you go. You heard it here. If you're looking for just wrestling crap, and and not wrestle crap, that's different, but wrestling (laughs) crap, Paul is your man. Seek him out. Look him up. You will not regret it. Uh, but but thank you. Thank you for coming here, uh, coming on the show this week to talk about Adrian Street, among many, many other meandering topics. I, I enjoyed this conversation very much, as I always do our conversations, Paul. Thank you.
2: Yeah, they never they, they could go on for much longer than they do. But we're under your very, very strict guidelines here, which is good. That's what I need in life more more strict guidelines but yeah i hope everyone enjoys it as well and uh, thank you for having me on it to to be able to chat about adrian and pay some kind of tribute on a public platform is uh it's it's a, a really cool thing for me to be able to do
1: there you have it folks my conversation with paul fairbairns on the life and legacy of exotic adrian street Thank you, Paul. It was great to reunite there, if for only one week. Great having you on the show and great taking part in the remembering of such a revered and important figure in wrestling history. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And I hope that you keep listening because next week on the show, we've got a great historian coming on board for episode 82. It's Carl Stern, whom a lot of you may know as Dragon King Carl. Really, one of the historians doing great work on the earliest history of professional wrestling. So that is going to be a lot of fun and a fascinating talk. And I hope that you tune into that next week. And I hope you keep listening because other future guests of Shut Up and Wrestle will include the likes of Kenny McIntosh of Inside the Ropes, as well as Megan Baker Kelly, daughter of Ox Baker and many others that I am working on for this fine show to bring to you each and every week. And you can find the show in a variety of places. SUAWpod.com is our website. And I want to say that now on all of the other platforms where you find the show, you should be able to find every single one of the 81 episodes, not just the last 52. I know that was the case for a while, but now it should be every single one available across all the platforms. I'm talking about Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, all the usual places you will find it. So go check it out and let me know if it's not working, because it should be working every single episode. Also, while you're at it, join us at the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. We would love, love, love to have you there. And if you want to check out some of the other projects I'm working on, there are several, as I'm sure you know by now. The Wrestling News, each and every morning from Arcadian Vanguard. I'm proud to be the news editor for The Wrestling News. I hope you've been checking it out. You can find it at the wrestlingnews.com. You can find it on YouTube at the Arcadian Vanguard page. So please do check it out. My book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, is available in print and digital and audio forms. There's also Superheroes, The History of a Pop Culture Phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro, which is available in print and digital on Amazon. But also, I have a limited number of signed copies of Blood and Fire and Superheroes. If you would like one of those, please do reach out to me at brianrsolomon at yahoo.com, and maybe we can work something out. You can also reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also find me on Facebook. My author website, or rather my author page on Facebook, is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my website, my author website on the World Wide Web. So if you're interested in picking up a signed copy of Blood and Fire or of Superheroes, please do reach out to me and we'll see if we can work something out. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, put your dreams away for another day and I will take their place in your heart. So long, wrestling fans.
0: There's something very strange about a cowboy, which makes me wonder how the West was won. There's something very strange about a cowboy, something I can't put my finger on. With high-heeled boots and fancy leather waistcoats, and shirts embroidered with such lovely flowers No wonder he would yodel on the prairie With chaps around his legs for hours and hours slubbing leather with the boys inside the bunkhouse Is something I'd appreciate in shown But I'd never offer cigarettes to ranch hands Because I believe they like to roll their own There's something very strange about a cowboy Which makes me wonder how the West was won There's something very strange about a cowboy Something I can't put my finger on The old saloon was always full of outlaws Mm. Knocking back the whiskey with one sip Around their necks those silky soft bandanas And a gun hand resting firmly on their hip And when Zorro wasn't sorting out the bad guys I wonder what he used his bullwhip for And every time the marshal left the barroom I'm not surprised he backed out through the door There's something very strange about a cowboy Which makes me wonder how the West was won There's something very strange about a cowboy Something I can't put my finger on The deputy would stroll round to the dance hall When he had an hour or two to spend The dancing girls would never, ever worry Cause they knew he had his own four-legged friend I wish that I could simply turn the clock back To those days of the famous wild, wild west For I know if I came across the James boys Jesse is the one I'd like the best There's something strange about a cowboy, which makes me wonder how the West was won. There's something very strange about a cowboy, something I can't put my finger on, something I can't put my finger on, something I can't put my finger finger